Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Security Confidential. I'm Rory. Uh, today, our guest is Erica Carrera. Erica is an influential, strategic, business-focused, and highly accomplished C-suite executive. She's accomplished many things, such as being a CISO, Director of Information Technology, Penetration Tester, and IT Security Specialist. Erica is also a veteran of the United States Army and mentor. She's currently the CISO of Wabtec Corporation. Hey, Erica, nice to thank be you for, yep, yeah. Thank you for joining us. <laughs> thank you for uh, having me on your show. Absolutely. So first question for you, um, how did you really start your career in cybersecurity? Um, was it something that you fell into during the military or did you go in with that mindset or that goal? No, um, it, it is a uh, non-traditional path to cybersecurity. Um, so I served as a military police officer in the United States Army. And when I was medically retired, I went and got a job on White Sands Missile Range as um, in the DOD space as a government service employee. Mm -hmm. um, and it was there, I think I was a police support assistant and I wanted to work in tech. So I wrote my resume with a tech focus and, and applied for a job as a DOD contractor on you know the, the contract that services uh, desktop support for the installation. And I got my first job okay. at the um, data entry. And I, I, I have worked my way up from data entry to help desk to system administrator to an analyst where I got wow. um, selected to come back over to the DOD side. And that's when they were performing information assurance okay. activities. And that is now gotcha. called... <laughs> sorry wow. sorry for the long the long path but no um, that's that's awesome i mean that's incredible to to go from you know mp not really anything about cyber involvement and then all the way to where you are now and all those stops in between i mean that's that's incredible it really is there are aspects of physical security that have helped me in my career in cyber mm -hmm. security. so you know piggybacking and social engineering and gaining access to areas that yep. should be restricted so there are certain things that have helped from that physical security space that have translated well <laughs> career. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. That makes, I mean, I think it makes a lot of sense. I know it, those two things, when you're looking at it, especially from the position you're in now, I feel like you have to come at it from both a, a physical security and a cybersecurity perspective. Yeah, I agree. Very cool. Um, so you, I know you like to, you know, mentor people and mentor young individuals. Um, when you're talking to young people, what, what kind of advice would you give them if they're looking to kind of step into that cyberspace coming from a, you know, a non-experienced role? Well, I, that's kind of the sweet spot is um, everybody has a different perspective, how they grew up, how they, how they view the world, um, the different types of jobs they have. So my my message for them is don't be the one to tell you no. Um, go ahead and try because your unique perspective is necessary to have a robust a robust cybersecurity practice in any organization. Mm -hmm. um, so I mean if you have any kind of diverse background but you have a willingness and aptitude to learn, you can be in cybersecurity. Right. You should have a seat at the table. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. That willingness to learn, I think, is is crucial. I mean, in, in cyber or in any any role that you're looking to step into, it's it's so much easier to teach some teach somebody who who wants to learn, who wants to advance. You know, I mean, that, yes. that's major. <laughs> um, do you have any advice for veterans looking to transition into the the cybersecurity field? Veterans take advantage of everything that is offered to you through your transition out of the military. It might seem like um, it's not going to be valuable, but everything is as valuable as the effort you put into it. So use those transition uh, programs. There are a multitude of programs for veterans to get free training um, through any kind of technology out there. So uh, big tech firms have programs for you to like VetForce with Salesforce. Um, 
Fortinet, um, AWS. Microsoft just started a program to get vets into security. So there is a veteran focus because we've already proved that we have the ability to be trained. We're loyal. We we thrive on camaraderie. We're, we are the, the people that you want to build teams that are strong. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have all these soft skills that uh, corporate entities are starting to look and go, wow, we should help them on board. Right, so, right. Uh, but the biggest thing for veterans is go on LinkedIn. You get one year free with LinkedIn. Uh, subscribe to it. Find people that have the titles that you want, that you think you want, and ask them to connect. They might not become a mentor. They might. Mm-hmm. They might even become a sponsor of you um, in the space. But align yourself with the people that you think you want to be, and uh, yeah. they're the blueprint for that. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's awesome. That's great advice. I know uh, I I see a lot of people on LinkedIn all the all the time who, even if you really don't know that person, just growing your connection because you never know who might also know that person or, you know, how those relationships are going to pan out. Yeah. <laughs> so you have a lot of experience with cybersecurity as well as mergers and acquisitions. Um, how do you see cybersecurity fitting into the due diligence process when a company is looking at a new acquisition? So, yeah, um, I do have a lot of experience in mergers and acquisitions. And, and from that experience, um, you know, it's, it's sad to see that security is a bolt on, uh, an afterthought. It's not, you know, built into the process. So, you know, it's having the conversations before the next merger or acquisition um, of the criteria that you want in the process, uh, because there's a lot of cost that is associated with technical debt um, mm-hmm. that you're going to inherit. You need to be aware of it so that it can become part of the negotiation. So pretty close to upfront, you want to read in security and have a process already there to assess um, not just technical debt, but you know the security posture. Right. Technical debt is a, a big, big part of that security posture. But nonetheless, um, you know, it doesn't matter the size of the organization. It's it's going to be an issue, um, especially right. when you're about big ERPs, um, you know, your financial systems. And mm-hmm. it's it's good just to work with the existing program to make sure that there's security criteria. There's buy in to put that security criteria in there. Um, mm-hmm. and and at, at the appropriate phases. Yeah. Yep. No, that makes, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. I think, you know, the term you used, uh, technical debt, I think that's a really, that's a fantastic term. Um, you know, it's a, it's an oversight with a lot of companies when they're going and you're looking at all the traditional things that come along with acquiring new assets, acquiring, you know, employees, all that stuff. But what what kind of you know cybersecurity do they have in place? What does their infrastructure look like, and how much are you going to have to invest in that to, you know, bolster that position up to what you want? Um, it's it can be it can be a lot more than you originally would have thought. It definitely is, um, and, and that's that's the other thing. It's you're bringing this into your your environment, into your network, and mm-hmm. um, just. It can't be a part of uh, everyday business. It's you really need to know um, what you're accepting, right? Because that now changes your attestations and all of everything you've uh, attested to contractually, regulatory, uh, statute, mm-hmm. right? That changes that changes your compliance, right? Yeah, it's gonna it's gonna have an effect on on everything. You know, whether that effect be good or bad. But that's something you're going to have to be willing to accept, you know, moving forward with that that acquisition. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So companies growing by acquisition inherit the systems and cultures of the companies they acquire. What are some approaches you've seen work in reprogramming those cultures to be in alignment with the parent company regarding cybersecurity? I've seen a lot of different methodologies or ways of thinking and approaching this mm-hmm. some hardlining where you know you will assimilate okay. and they change the badging they change the the signage they change your signature blocks you know they mm-hmm. tell you 
what assimilation looks like and, and the expectations. And, you know, I guess there's a time and place for everything, but you have to be adaptive to um, and culturally sensitive. So when you talk international, the current company I work for is in 52 countries. We have 250 sites and we grow by acquisition. So mm-hmm. when you when you talk about a forcing mechanism to make people change who probably weren't consulted um, right. as a part of your acquisition, you know, I, I think that gets, I think that's a sensitive to- topic that um, everybody should approach uniquely. So mm-hmm. um, talk about our, our friends in, in Europe. So France, Italy, Germany, having a liaison to work with them to understand the culture, to understand, you know, what right looks like um, mm-hmm. and to build a relationship. So I think you should have a, a maybe a cultural liaison um, to help integrate because I've seen the mergers and acquisitions where is a failed integration in my mind, in my eyes, because we didn't culturally integrate. Mm. You, uh, you switched over, you cut over the networks, you right. uh, firewalls, you deployed agents. Uh, they're on our domain, but they very much are not part of our culture. So uh, right. I think in, in our front line of defense, our people, employees, right. front line of defense, you can have, the most secure infrastructure out there. Um, you can spend billions of dollars on it, but it takes one Jane or Bob to share their password. Um, you know, mm-hmm. one Jane or Bob to pick up a USB on the floor outside in the, the shared lunchroom and, and, and plug it in, right? So investing in human in humans, um, it's definitely the approach I have seen most successful. Okay. Because you start building a relationship mm-hmm. to help them understand the new the new norm, the new con- company, the new org structure, um, and help right. them. In. And then you have an in already established for mm-hmm. ongoing maintenance of that relationship and building a secure and aware um, employee right? that's mm-hmm. going to help you, um, going to be your champion. You're not making, so what, what do we have to do not to make enemies? Right. Yeah. That makes, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. I think it's, it's so true. And, and we hear it all the time in tech, how, you know, technology security, it's not a technical problem. It's a people problem. And, you know, if you're, if you're not going to start with the people, you're going to have problems all day long. And with mergers and acquisitions, there is a lot of, you know, a lot of new things that are going to change. And a lot of people tend to be resistant to that change. So I think, you know, your philosophy and streamlining that process, making it as as smooth as you can of a transition and from the aspect of, you know, the new employees. Absolutely. I mean, I, I'm right on board with you. I think that's the, that's the right approach without a doubt. (laughs) (laughs) Um, all right. Given the governmental nature, oh, is I think this is the question here. Given the governmental nature of your organization's work, what framework do you use or recommend others use to establish a world-class cybersecurity program? Well, I mean, so I mean, throughout my career, I've used several, many, many different frameworks. Mm-hmm. Uh, but let's let's go with world-class. So, okay. The, <laughs> ISO 27001, I can't say enough great things about it because anything you implement with ISO 27001 isn't a check the box. Mm-hmm. ISO 27001 is voluntary. It might be contractually required, but it's voluntary. So it's a way to advertise that your organization takes information security seriously, that we okay. look at information security in our business processes. Um, it's not just an IT problem. It's a business problem, right? So mm-hmm. HR security, physical security. Um, procurement, right? Sourcing. Um, yes. Right. So it's, it's third party risk management, mm-hmm. everything, anything you can think security and where security could be in your organization is covered in ISO 27001. Um, and it maps nicely to NIST, CIS, um, you name it. If it's information security or has 
information security in the title, it's it's going to to map nicely. There's you could always do better. I'm not saying right. it is 100% coverage, but anything you implement is going to improve your security posture. Um, and the requirements to communicate gaps, to have annual internal audits, um, just saying you're in, in alignment with ISO 27001 without that external audit to say you're certified. Um, if you could show that you're aligned to ISO 27001, I think you're winning at this game because mm-hmm. it's internationally recognized and accepted. Um, it's kind of a gold standard. And if you look back at you know, the original ISO 27001, a mm-hmm. lot of the frameworks that came after it emulated it. So. Okay. Right. So when you um, when you imitate something is the best form of flattery. <laughs> right. Absolutely. So that's that's what I'm rolling out. But also implementing the information security management system using ISO 27001 helps your sprouting leaders understand the global view of information security and the complexity of building a management system mm-hmm. to manage and continually improve information security. Okay. So you get the management view and this technical view. So you've got the 27,001, which is management, and the 27,002, which are technical controls. Mm -hmm. I can go on for days on how cool 27,001 is. (laughs) I mean, I absolutely, I think it's, it's that you, when you have something that you're passionate about and you, you've seen it work and you know, it's going to work for your company. I mean, that's, Go, go on as, as long as you want, <laughs> you know, um, when you're, if you were talking to someone who, you know, is in that small business market and they're, they're looking to kind of get their, their company, their organization, whatever aligned with some kind of security framework, how crucial would you say it is that they're, you know, they check all the boxes or if they just kind of take a little of this and a little of that and they throw it together and now they have a framework. What are your, what are your thoughts on that? Sure. I mean, it's, uh, you're a small business. Um, look at CIS. So mm-hmm. you can also use ISO 27001 as a maturity model. Um, you don't need to go big. You don't need to spend a lot of money. Um, industry best practices, but scoped to your needs. And that's, that's ISO 27001 is interpretative. It's, um, what does what does right look like at, at different levels? It's not a robust prescriptive framework like NIST eight hundred fifty three, um, you know. But CIS, your foundational, you should have the first five CIS controls, no matter who you are. If you have a computer deployed, your asset management, configuration management, vulnerability management, and um, identity and access control, right? right. That's just be the primary that that is if you ever want to do anything and build a security program you need to have those those five in place otherwise it's a house of cards if you don't know what you have you can't secure it right yep. if you don't know what access is not secure That's um, true. <laughs> <laughs> um and, and if you're not doing the first two you know you're scanning but you can't ever remediate because you don't know what you have or who has access to it so right mm-hmm. Do it right if you're going to do it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's that's the truth of anything when it comes to businesses, right? I mean, if you're going to go all in, you gotta you gotta push all the all the chips on the table and you know stick to it. Especially with, with cybersecurity and the whole, it it's so fast and it's so any, everything can can. I mean, I don't know where I'm going with this right now, but it's. <laughs> If you're gonna if you're gonna really hone in on one aspect when you're starting up a business to really secure and to make sure it's airtight, I would I would say it should be the the cybersecurity world and your all your banking's on there, your networks, everything that you have, your assets, whether that be you know sales or whatever you do, you probably do something online, and you you would you think it'd be the best practice to really secure that up. It's it's mind blowing. Um, I've been in the space twenty years and secure. Mm-hmm an afterthought and it's like everything we do is digital everything is online everything you do is on a computer so i've I've always thought i want to work myself out of a job i think if we hire security savvy people in their individual roles you need a smaller security organization but if you 
failing to do that, your security budget is going to balloon. You're going to need a lot of security practitioners to chase engineer, to chase business analysts, to right to grovel in front of the board for more yeah. money. You can't be effective um, with the staff that we have. However, if you shift that dynamic, uh, like I'm trying to do currently, and put security as a job description in every new job description that's posted, so you're mm-hmm. looking for that is security aware, not you didn't, you didn't go to security training, but I'm also going to hold you to your job description that you should be thinking about how you're going to protect the organization and the information that you're allowed to touch in conjunction with your job. So right. um, when you're thinking about small business, everybody wears a bunch of hats. Um, mm-hmm. So security should be just hire people that care, care about their information security and they're going to care about your information security. Um, yep. Right. Absolutely. You know, and I, and I think that even all that you could tie this even back to soft skills and, you know, why veterans tend to perform better, you know, in, in fortune 500 companies these, these days, it's, they have those soft skills drilled into them inherently. It's, you know, security of what you're doing at work, what you do with, you know, your ID, how you carry yourself. It all, it needs to be, Lockdown, and that—that's something that you definitely get with with veterans as well. Um, yeah, no, it's a fun veteran joke, but unattended, unsecure means <laughs> it's yours. So, I mean, look at it. Look at um, cloud containers, unattended, mm-hmm. unsecure. Guess what? Everybody has um, that data that was in that container. So, uh, that principle is universal. Right. Absolutely. Where's sure attended here? <laughs> I like that. That's a good one. What motivates bad actors in your experience in your sector? I think there's a few different motivations. I think it all comes back to some level of greed and those that aren't greedy, probably um, bragging rights. Okay. Uh, but those are those are tied so closely together. The the more you can, more revenue you can generate from your bad acting, um, you know, the the more notorious you are going to be. So, mm-hmm. um, name recognition. I mean, I don't think there's anything better than for them, not for me, for right. them. Name in the news. Um, to be able to say I'm responsible for this uh, latest mm-hmm. breach big name corporation like a walmart i think a walmart would be that that pinnacle for them um because the more the more and this is where i i'm kind of this is where i am with the company i am it's headquartered in pittsburgh it's been around 150 something years um Mm -hmm. i walk around pittsburgh and i'm like hey i work for wabtech and they're like who and half of me is kind of like uh that bothers me the other half is like no that's cool you know the more people that don't know (laughs) wabtech you know, we're, we're yep. the least known, I think, least known Fortune 500 out there. Um, mm-hmm. And sometimes I'm okay with that. But uh, other times that that hurts from a recruiting perspective. Um, that also right. hurts from a retention perspective, because when the AWSs of the world come along and offer somebody on my team, uh, you know, the notoriety, the, the, the name recognition um, alone mm-hmm. is, you know, some things you just can't compete with. So um, back to your question. I think that's the bigger the takedown, um, the more money and recognition you'll get. The recognition leads to more money. So it's, it might be a double-edged sword now with them too, because then you're on, then you're on the watch list. Then, then you're (laughs) the top five for the um, intelligence and uh, cyber crime to take down. So Mm -hmm. depends. Suicide mission or... uh, not (laughs) yeah absolutely i think it's all you know like you said greed and bragging rights those seem to be the two main things these days because it's unless you're really going after you know ransom with with cryptocurrency it's everything is trackable everything's traceable like we're you know it's going to come out that you were the one who did it sooner or later so it's it's definitely a name game without a doubt um yeah and there's the the way you take down um, the ingenuity mm-hmm. behind the take 
the the, te- the techniques you're using, all of that comes to light. And, and the genius behind it sometimes is amazing. I'm, I don't want to give too much credit here, but you, it, it, it fascinates me, uh, the time spent, because I, I've always said, you know, when you're, pen- when you're doing penetration testing, um, everybody thinks, oh, it's, it's, it's fast paced and it's, it's, it's the sexy side of cybersecurity. And it's like, uh, it's like fishing or it's, <laughs> it, it's what I see fishing. It's a lot of effort, um, mm-hmm. game, you lay traps and you wait for somebody to take the bait. Um, but it's not, not the, uh, what they put in the movies. Right. Right. No, I. I agree with you. It's, it's like, um, you know, when you're, when you're setting up those email campaigns for your company or whatever, you could send out the basic generic ones, but everybody knows right away that that's, you know, this is oh this was training. This is a test or whatever. But when you actually put in some time and you create that email, you know, and you make it look real and then you make the unsubscribe button, you know, the, the, the button that releases the malware, that's when you really, you know, get people to fall into that trap and fall into the, the real score, right? <laughs> right. So it, it, yeah, there's definitely, there can be a craft to it without a doubt. So I think that's, that's a motivation too, um, to, to be known for something different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Are there policies that you think the government should adopt that would better deter bad actors? So you have the defense industrial base. You have suppliers to the Department of Defense that are required to adhere to, right, mm-hmm. a minimum security requirement. So the federal government in, in a silo decided to do this, but then you have critical infrastructure and you have many other entities, um, that should be secure as well. It, it, it is fascinating that they can do something in one sector and not apply it universally. So I came from the defense industrial base to manufacturing. We are a supplier of critical infrastructure. Uh, mm-hmm. however, there are no flowdowns from critical infrastructure contracts to their suppliers. That, I think, is a major misstep. If you do something, and I'm not going to say it's done well, CMMC mm-hmm. has been of a snafu, um, but NIST 800-171, if it wasn't self-attestation, that's, that, is a, that is information security for non-federal organizations. I think that's relatively good. I'm not going to say anything is you know, perfect, because perfect perfection doesn't exist. And that was the right. biggest problem to see, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Zero non-conformities or zero uh, poems and it was like when is any practice ever zero yeah yeah that's that's when are you 100 percent saturated on all your security clients on every single asset uh on in your organization yeah every every computer's patched everything's up to date (laughs) right right um you're not even sure how you even enforce that but um (laughs) back to the question i don't even know where i was going oh yeah what what can the government do i think the government should get out of their own way and bring in actual experts to say this is how you get in front of something because everything we do in the government is reactive so i just Mm -hmm. went to the ncfta um cyber crime forum here in pittsburgh and there the brightest minds in law enforcement or from around the globe um, talking about cyber crime. Um, mm-hmm. Those are the type of people you want in the room. So take politics out of it and just get the right people in right. the room, have a conversation about how do you proactively thwart bad actors um, and, mm-hmm. and what universal application. So we talked earlier about CIS, about the fundamentals. Right. Uh, Right. How do we have a framework like that for SMBs through, uh, you know, Fortune 500s to say we're this level, we're, you know, level one, level two, level three. Um, 
because nobody, I've got a whole organization of IT that goes, Erica, we agree with your security uh, strategy, but we don't know what right looks like. Exactly. We want to do the right thing, but we don't know what right looks like. So that's, yeah. that was, that's kind of the PSA you want the government to put out. This is mm-hmm. what direct cyber hygiene looks like. Yeah. And put out um, where there's no infighting, where, you know, if you have to do it in a think tank and then you come out and say, this is what right looks like. Um, and then grow and improve it because you can always different perspectives. You get a different way of thinking yeah. and get ways to improve, but start somewhere. Um, mm-hmm. Cause then you have universal, Hey, this is, this is the United States or this is NAFTA or this is, you know, the global cyber posture for windows 10 11, right. android iphone whatever it is we can do this um mm-hmm. i think that's what we need because people want to do the right thing they just don't know what that looks like yeah yeah i i would agree with that i mean it's there's so many different people who they all kind of are on the same page but they have different ways to get there and if you can streamline that process of, hey, let's just start here and build to, you know, one end goal rather than, well, I'm going to, you know, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. It's bring it all together, set the foundation, like you said, and then, you know, let those those industry leaders, those, those experts kind of take the reins and say, hey, this is the right, this is the move. Yeah. <laughs> it, it would be helpful, um, but also pressure needs to be put where I think pressure belongs. And I'm not sure how to even begin to do this, but I've always thought, you know, we're buying Microsoft, right? Mm-hmm. But Microsoft knows what right security looks like. Why aren't they just deploying it secure? You have AWS um, and you have different levels of, you can buy AWS commercially, you can buy AWS uh, GovCloud. Mm-hmm. Why isn't GovCloud the um, standard? Why even offer something that could possibly... And I understand there's choices, um, right. but if you know what correct cyber posture looks like, why not just deploy it? Why do I have to pay for it? Um, so it's like you buy this tool, but then you have to pay for all this security to secure it. Right. I, you know, bigger entities would push back and say, you know how to secure it, but you, you're, you're, it becomes cost prohibitive to do a lot of it. So it's kind of like, mm-hmm. which, which baby am I going to give away? Because I can't pay for it. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, um, that's, that's the weirdest thing. You got vendors that know how to deploy securely and are happy to sell it to you afterwards um, mm-hmm. when they develop. Yeah. But it doesn't, it doesn't come with it. Yeah, that is, that's an interesting if point. It's controversial. You would think it would. I'm, so. <laughs> you, you you would think that that security would be you know inherent to the sale or even the functionality of that device or that service whatever it is that you're you know you're gonna buy um maybe that's just capitalism at its finest <laughs> for sure and I, I don't I'm nothing against capitalism um i'm all for mm-hmm. it if you know what right looks like yep and you're not it who's who's the real villain here yeah that's true absolutely you know if you can you can keep people safe with a little extra effort why wouldn't you you know yeah (laughs) can you shed some light on what defense in depth should entail for critical infrastructure companies yeah i don't know if i have a lot to say on this outside of everything I already shared, it's, it's to me, and maybe that's just the length of time I've been in the profession is a common sense approach to security defense in depth is, you know, where are you going to get the best bang for your buck? Um, I know everybody has a budget, right. And, and everybody has the talent that they have and you should have the, the foundation, the fundamentals, the basics, um, so the fundamental level CIS and then basic level CIS. Um, 
that's a good that's a good place to start. And then looking at threat intel, um, actionable threat intel, and your vulnerabilities. So it's I know there's a lot of people that talk about defense in depth that have a lot more experience than I do. Um, but taking a common common sense approach, pooling the money where it makes the most sense. And to me, that's, um, you know, my high value and my externally facing assets mm -hmm. get, get more protection than other. And um, then working off of that threat intel, what, what actually can happen? What is, mm -hmm. you know, what's live, what's in the wild, what's going on, and addressing that. Okay, yeah. And I know that's not true defense in depth, but that's the approach that makes sense for the budget that I have. Now, if you have right. the budget of the federal government, defense in depth is going to look a lot different. Yeah, You're going to have a Absolutely. lot more to throw at that. Mm-hmm. Right. But that's, I think, you know, coming at it from a budget approach is the right approach because you need to really think about what is, what can I afford? And then out of what can I afford, what is going to keep me the most secure? What's going to have the greatest security impact on my organization, my users, my endpoints, right? There's a lot of work that goes into that. So you're, you're talking about threat hunting. You're talking about having a, um, a see something, say something, uh, capability. You have uh, bounty bug hunting um, capabilities deployed. So that takes a lot also. Um, however, true actionable data is mm -hmm. way better than saturation of tools that might not be applied in the, in the right places. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. So there's a lot of people that talk about what defense in depth looks like, correct? And and I agree with them. Not kicking this horn's nest. I agree with them a million percent. Uh huh. But you have to look at what you can do with what you have. Um, you also yeah. have to look at strategy and road mapping and how, if that's your end goal, how do you get there? Right. Yeah. I like it. I like that approach for sure. <laughs> Um, so when you're talking about risk mitigation and you're looking at your third party, um, vendors, suppliers, and contractors, what sort of thoughts go into that? Yeah. So how I view third party risk management supplier risk, um, is scrim, right. Um, or C scrim cyber mm -hmm. supply chain risk. I'm, the assumption is you have an information classification schema. Uh, you've already decided internally what your important data is in manufacturing intellectual property. Um, you know, your customer right. information or your PII uh, were publicly traded. So Sarbanes-Oxley, our financial data, our financials, our financial systems. Um, mm -hmm. So what vendors have access to that? Um, and in, in what capacity? And then what, what do they do? How do they develop the products we're using um, and deploying inside of our network that they may or may not have access to? Um, what, what does their SDLC look like? Um, what frameworks do they adhere to? How well are they adhering to them? Give me your latest SOC. Um, what, you know, and then SOC 2 tells me what kind of and what level of information security training their practitioners get. Um, so I guess it's just the due diligence, but knowing what level of assessment you're going to perform uh, based off of the importance of the data that they have access to or the systems you're deploying using them have or transmitted by. Mm -hmm. And then uh, that review cycle, you know, Vendor management is not one and done. So how often are you going to reassess and what the reassessment, you know, that annually or major system change? Is it a merger? What's the kickoff on their side? Is it an acquisition merger divesture on their side? 
that's going right. to kick off a re. Um, and then what's my internal process for being notified of those, mm -hmm. right? They have a breach. Yeah. They yeah. Are how how quickly is that information going to come back to you that, <laughs> Hey, something, something went down over here. <laughs> yep. So it's, it's almost like you have to perform everything you do inside of your network mm -hmm. for your suppliers and, and sub suppliers. Right. Right. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's like a great, it's like a chain analogy. If you're going to link them to your chain, you know, you're only now going to be as strong as, as their link is. Right. Right. And that's exactly what the department of defense saw. And that's why that, um, DFARS came about with NIST 800-171. It's the flow down of security requirements to you supplier and to your suppliers. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. So this is kind of like a, a follow along question to that. For small businesses that work with you, what are your expectations regarding cybersecurity for them? Sure, well, we have T's and C's that cover that terms and conditions. Um, okay. Right before this, I got off a call about one of our bigger customers um, having those the same level of uh, defense industrial base slowdowns to us. Mm hmm. Not, not new to me, so um, able to have that conversation, but the expectation that a, a piece of cast iron that you're buying from us to put on something uh, have information security requirements is, um, it's worth having a conversation about, but this entity yeah. wants to apply these requirements universally. So am I going to go look at the information security of the um, supplier of that raw material? Mm -hmm. Does it matter? On some levels, yes. So right. you have to look at what makes sense, that common sense approach again. So if you blanket security and you say you need to do everything and you're hardlining, you're causing small businesses to not want to work with you. Because the easiest thing is just to say, that's crazy. Um, but you do want to ask how they perform basic security functions. Um, so wherever they interface with you and your systems, you give them access to a system for uh, parts, pricing, bidding, then ask the questions relevant to the interconnections you have. I think it's always fair to ask about you know, their um, awareness of their employees, um, especially if, if they're allowed to upload attachments, maybe what do they use? Right, so just that, that yeah. the, the basic fundamentals again of CIS. Um, are they right. meeting them, are they not? But as far as an entire framework, um, attestation, you know, please, please attest to this. Uh, it's necessary and too robust. You have to look at case by case. What is it? Um, if you're a small business, what is it that makes sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think going back to your, you know, your hard line approach it, that you're really, the, the harder your line is, I think, the worse off your company's going to be in the sense of, you know, making deals, bringing on partners, you know, being someone who is able to grow if you're too focused around those hard stops when it comes to security. So you have to find that, that right middle ground, like you said. Yeah. But I mean, there's also an aerospace supplier that just got taken to court for lying on their cybersecurity attestation in a contract saying we, <laughs> we are secure and they're not. So there's also the yeah. prosecution that if if you say you're doing something you're not doing, mm -hmm. you do run the risk of being in breach of contract uh, and subject right. to serious penalties. Um, so it's easier for a small business to say, I'm, I'm not, I don't need this business. And, um, <laughs> Absolutely. Enough small yeah. businesses, you're probably going to work your way out of a job. Yeah, I mean, that's, 
That's very true. <laughs> it's, yeah. All right. So next question, changing subjects a little bit. Um, on your LinkedIn, your your banner background, I don't know, I think it's called a banner, um, is Girl Code. Tell us a little bit about that. I am the, I, I, I love mentoring. Um, mm -hmm. For a long time when I lived in the Pacific Northwest, I was part of a, a couple groups that mentored veterans. Um, and then I learned a lot about diversity and inclusion in my last position at Parsons Corporation. It was part of their culture. It was ingrained. And I thought, yeah, I need to get more involved in women in tech. Um, and where do you start there? So girls, middle school, their, um, their self-confidence peaks at nine years old. And it doesn't recover to that level until they're in their late 20s. So getting involved at, in, in middle school um, and helping grow talent young, um, mm -hmm. when somebody does something themselves, they have a sense of accomplishment. And a sense of accomplishment builds your confidence. So, and th these are all studies. This is all stuff I've read. Um, mm -hmm. I, I find it amazing, but I've also lived that life, so I, I know. Um, but girls, um, girls are quicker to tell themselves no than to take chances and, and take risks, calculated risks, not, you know. Um, but you, if you don't take risks, if you, if you don't fail, because girls don't like to fail, we, we've, we've been told we need to be perfect. I, I don't right. know why. <laughs> I think it's ridiculous. Um, but we strive for perfection and we're super mad at ourselves if we're not perfect. And if we don't get something the first time we do it, we don't do it again. We don't take that failure and go, huh, let me try it a different way and fail again. And then, okay, now I'm learning. I'm going to do it again and fail a different way. Right. That's, that's, you learn from failure. Um, but mm -hmm. somewhere along we're told if you fail, you're not perfect and you should just stay with the things that um, and that, that is why I'm involved in multiple different organizations to help women grow, but starting younger. So I'm the executive sponsor for Women of Wabtec, and it's, okay. it's providing opportunities um, to speak about who you are, where you're from, but it's also exposure to different opportunities to grow your career. Uh, but it's also to help the entire organization understand women mm -hmm. here we, we work we do jobs um just to give a, a shine a light on highlight who we are and what we do for the organization um but yeah it's just all part of that mentoring mentality um cultivating talent at every level but specifically in middle school you need to focus we need to focus our attention there, um, mm -hmm. more of us. So just look into it. Look into opportunities um, to help middle school-aged girls um, learn that you can do anything that you want to do. Uh, right. And that you be good at it initially. Like, mm -hmm. you grow failure. So Girl Code is, uh, is that program. Um, giving opportunities to middle school aged girls to to learn something that wouldn't necessarily be put in front of them or if it was put in front of them maybe they would shy away because uh, i'm not going to be good at that right <laughs> telling yourself or right you have an opportunity to really know if you want to be good at it mm -hmm. absolutely is there is there a link or like a page for this where people can kind of go learn more about it how to get involved that sort of thing yeah, it's it's actually a conglomerate of a lot of different groups. Um, so okay. it's just that role of uh, the, the middle school age practice. I have a bunch of links I can share with you. Um, yeah, absolutely. We would love that. Um, you know, we'll put it down below at the bottom of this. Um, and our, our viewers and Dark Rhino will, will definitely love to get involved with this kind of thing. I mean, this is this is awesome stuff. Awesome. 
Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so last question for you. Are there any events, resources, books, organizations, anything that you would want to plug into, you know, our listeners, let them, you know, know about or anything that you think would benefit people to, to get involved with cyber related or, or else? <laughs> yeah. Um, coming up in October in Houston is the society of women engineers, um, convention. Okay. So, uh, check it out. S W E, um, dot org. And, um, we are sponsoring some of our engineers to that event. Uh, I think okay. I was selected as well. Very cool. Um, yeah. And, you know, local chapters of vets and tech, you can always support by being a sponsor of one of the events you can support by being, you know, just attending them, you know, actual in-person support. Mm -hmm. Um, there are so many opportunities to mentor, um, or sponsor. It depends on, you know, your different levels, but right. any level that you're at, you can always mentor. Just mm -hmm. think of you know, where you are today compared to where you were 10 years ago. Um, you did right. learn something you have valuable information. It does, you don't have to be a C have a, some kind of C in your title to, um, to be a good mentor. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, um, thank you, you know, for, for your time and for, you know, going through all the questions and, uh, it was, it was honestly, it was awesome to get, to get to talk to you. Um, hey, thank you, Rory. You a, um, thank you. yeah, you have a, have an incredible story. I mean, I, I hope mine all turns out like yours one day. I came from up in the Navy too. I was, uh, military police as well. So we got that, we got that going. <laughs> Yeah, that's amazing. Thank you for your service. Um, I saw, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, you can edit it out. I saw your sleeve and I'm like, I know your prior service. So um, <laughs> you've got such a good forum here and you have, you have spoken to so many influential and amazingly powerful people. Um, mm -hmm. you, you're doing something that I admire. Um, so well, thank, thank you, you for having me on the show. Uh, I yeah. love your question. You've got You've got great energy, and um, <laughs> I wish you all the Thank success you. in the world. Where do you want to go? Don't be the one to tell you no. Just do it. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, thank you. I mean, I hope we hope we uh, cross paths again, and um, I appreciate it. I really do. So, thank you. Hey, thank you, Rory. Take care. All right, you as well. <laughs>